good to see some uh, familiar faces out there. <laughs> um, so I want to talk today about uh, the UCY Data Center, uh, Regional Data Center's initiative. Um, some of you might have heard of this, um, and uh, the, the first one uh, being at UC San Diego. Um, so initially, you know, why, why are we even talking about co-location? Uh, I'm sure many of you know, you know, faculty researchers need data center space for servers, clusters, storage. Um, you know, existing space on campuses is uh, mostly filled on a lot of campuses. Um, and retrofitting that uh, either closets or offices um, or labs is very expensive and inefficient. Um, you know, we, we've looked at some previous renovations at UCSD. Um, Upfront up renovations were on the order of about 1250 a square foot. Um, and it cost about $20 a square foot annually to upkeep it. So for 1,000 square feet of retrofit, you're looking at about $1.25 million, plus about twenty k a year. There's also a space opportunity cost. You know, we're all out of office space as well. So um, looking at the, the, the cost of the rental um, office space that, that, we're, that we do on campus is about 240 a square foot a month. So that's another 28 k a year. Um, and then power and cooling in those spaces is much less efficient. Um, I'll talk more about that later, but it's on the order of 50%. Um, so, you know, just putting it, doing a thousand square foot retrofit of a space um, is about 1.25 million up front, plus another 150k uh, a year, more than it would cost to to locate that in a uh, in an efficient data center. Um, so, you know, that's why co-location, but, but why you see wide co-location? Um, you know, large regional data centers can provide um, scalable space and power um, when done at scale. Um, you know, economies of scales of, of common large facilities are good. Um, and there's also, you know, great opportunities for, for physically diverse data centers and disaster recovery. Um, efficient space will reduce energy consumption again. Um, and th there, are exist there is existing space in the UC system that, that, that can uh, be put to task to solve immediate needs. Um, in, in our first go through of this, what we're looking at is, is ping and power. Uh, you know that that phrase has been used many times, and it's really to service the basic needs that most people have. They want they want to put a server somewhere and, and know that it's not going to burn down. It's going to be um, and it, it'll be safe and secure. Uh, so, so I'm going to go through uh, the first piece of this, uh, and maybe the last, um, and talk first about technical standards, what, what, what we have at UCSD now, what's available. Um, I'm going to hand it off to Matt. He's going to talk about all the operations and ma maintenance um, procedures, as well as some of the governance things that we've gone through so far. Um, and we'll talk about some of the cost and then how to get started. Uh, so this is a little bit of a busy slide, but, but I thought it was good to have everything in one place. Um, so overall, there's about 18,000 square foot at, at uh, SDSC. Um, I guess I should have said that San Diego Supercomputer Center. We'll refer to it as SDSC. Um, we have two, uh, two main data centers that are adjacent to each other. Uh, data Center West is about 13.5, and Data Center East is about 4,500 square feet. Um, within that, we have sort of a rough estimate of rack capacity of about 450 racks. Um, and uh, quite a bit of power that's there. Um, 4.25 megawatts that's available now at 408, uh, I'm sorry, 208, um, and then another 8 megawatt power um, expansion that should be completed next month. Um, that's 8 megawatts at 480, um, 277 to the floor. Uh, so it's a lot of power uh, and a lot of space. Uh, the rack power density, um, we're looking at sort of on, on average is about 10, 10 kWs in, in the uh, west room and about 6 kW in the east room. Um, that said, we have clusters that are 40 to 45 kW racks uh, that do just fine, and we, we'll talk a little bit more about how, how, we, how we do that. Uh, rack detail, so we have uh, ISO-based seismic protection. Some of you, a lot of data centers in the UC system have these, um, but it's uh, basically 
platforms that are on casters that allow um, earthquake energy to dissipate by uh, by sort of shaking it shaking itself out. <laughs> um, and we're doing that throughout both data centers for all, all the new racks that are going in. Um, and we'll talk about uh, containment in a minute, but we're doing uh, cold aisle containment in the west and hot aisle containment in the east. Uh, cooling, we have in the west data center 16 crack units with a two-foot raised floor. Um, and in the east, we have large air handling units that are actually the floor below that blow into the subfloor um, and, and a larger four-foot raised floor. Um, there's been a lot of questions about UPS and generator. Uh, we have UPS power ca capacity available, actually about three megawatts worth, or a little bit more than that, actually. Um, but it, you know, we're providing that as it's available. Um, in, in the pricing, I'm going to tell you, we're not including the cost for, to, for refitting that um, going forward, but it's something that, if it's needed, um, it certainly can be, can be added to it. Um, same thing with diesel generator. We have a large uh, two-and-a-half two megawatt generator on site. Um, basically, we're using that for our, our core network loads um, and for life safety loads, um, but there's also additional pads that are available if, if people do need generator uh, power available. Uh, capacity planning. Uh, today we have space for about 125 racks um, of gear that you know, could come in and, and be housed immediately. Um, we're in, in the midst of a, 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 a full retrofit um, sort of point here. The, uh, the, the front of the room here is has been retrofitted with uh, newer capacity, like 2,500 square, uh, pounds per square foot tiles. Um, some of the, as you look back towards the, the back side of the room here, um, is, there's some old, older tiles. And as, as we move forward and we, we need more capacity, we're retrofitting that with, uh, with higher capacity tiles for today's racks. Um, so as of next month, we'll have another, we'll have 225 racks worth of uh, space that's available for, for things to come in. And then uh, as we need more space, we'll do the next, the last third of the room back there. So energy savings multiply. Um, so this is sort of a, an intro to P, uh, PUE, which we'll talk about in a minute. But um, I think it's important to, to realize that as you, know, as, as you save energy from a server component level, uh, th those, those things multiply out from DC to DC conversions on the, on the server to the AC to DC conversion that the power supply provides to the power distribution that, that's distributing the power on the floor. The UPS is, t um, you know, the, there's losses there. Uh, the cooling is, is a large straw, obviously. Um, to, to actually cool and do that efficiently. Um, and then the, the upstream, there's also the switch and the transformers that all, um, all of those things add up to you know, one watt that, that's, um, that, that a server component draws is about 2.84 watts uh, of true power that you have to deliver to the, uh, to the room. So cold aisle containment, as I mentioned, uh, in the East Data Center, we're doing uh, cold aisle containment. Um, this is a picture of the, um, what's there now. Um, basically, there's uh, doors at the end of your cold aisle with a cap on the top, uh, fire suppression um, piped in, um, and all your cold air is contained. You don't have the wraparound that you, you would get in a traditional data center of hot air coming around and having 90 degrees at the top of your rack and 60 degrees at the bottom. Uh, it's all nice and 70 degrees. Um, the, the, uh, the, the advantage of the, this, um, you know, th this works best in a standardized data center um, because your room as a whole will run, you know, 95, 100 degrees. You know, frankly, the hotter we can get that room, uh, the better job we're doing at, um, at, at uh, being, being efficient with how we're doing it. Um, the, uh, you know, and as I said, it, 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 you need a standardized data center because you can't run uh, gear that, that would just take air, uh, air from, that, uh, from the room as a whole. Uh, in the West Data Center, we're doing hot aisle containment. Um, you know, again, we're expecting the same sort of efficient, efficiency improvements, um, and, uh, but the difference being that we're actually enclosing that hot aisle 
basically it looks like a chimney coming off the uh, each hot aisle uh, going up to the uh, to, uh, to, to the ceiling which we're actually using as a return point them back to the crack units um, the, the good thing with this is it can work in a non-standardized data center with a lot of HPC applications we'll have racks that might take take air from bottom to top or um, just have some weird airflow that you couldn't you couldn't handle well from a um, from a cold aisle containment uh, perspective um, so, so and this can also be uh, incrementally incre incrementally implemented throughout the room uh, so we're doing it we're doing some, some prototypes now, and we're retrofitting them back as new racks come in. Uh, so this is a busy slide, but, but I think it's interesting. Um, essentially, this is our, our campus-wide energy management and, and, and energy systems. Uh, we run a, a campus cogen at UCSD that uh, provides about 80% of our, our power now, and uh, they're adding another cogen that will uh, should take that to, to allow us to provide over 100% of our power um, through local generation. Um, not only does that give us um, a, a very nice power supply that's reliable, um, but, but it also provides uh, steam that, that helps to drive our, our chilled water plant. So uh, we use the waste steam to drive uh, to uh, dr drive steam turbine ch chillers, uh, which then throw the chilled water into a thermal storage tank, um, and then distribute that via the chilled water loop on the campus uh, that we tap into. Um, th this provides both uh, redundancy in that you know chillers can go down, we have thermal storage that can come on, um, but but it's also very efficient and very uh, low cost to 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 provide that um, that chilled water in comparison to just running electric chillers on site. Uh, we're also we're also doing some interesting uh, green projects with the uh, City of San Diego waste water treatment facility. We're we're capturing methane from that uh, and bringing it to campus to run a campus fuel cell. And we also have a large I think it's about three megawatts worth of campus solar now uh, deployed. Uh, there's a little green box. I won't talk much about this now, but um, we're looking at uh, free cooling solutions, doing water side economization, uh, where we're running cooling towers during, uh, during most of the year and, and, and can actually uh, temper most of our loads without using chillers um, for a lot of that time. Um, and then also looking at uh, load, uh, load shapings so that we can run uh, things like ice makers or chillers at night um, to, to leverage wind power um, rather than t taking that at peak times. Um, when rates are highest. Um, so some recent efficiency projects. We've uh, retrofitted all of our uh, crack units with uh, VFD fans uh, and modulating chill water valves so we can actually throttle, uh, th throttle their, their capacity based on uh, what the real-time thermal loads are in the room. Um, this should save about one, uh, one to two um, million kilowatt hours a year. Uh, we're also providing, as I said, 277, 480 volt uh, power to the floor hopefully power some of the higher higher power systems that come in um, and uh, without having the distribution losses that, that you see when you have to transform down to 208 120 um, we're also we also retrofitted a UPS uh, that uh, was a very inefficient older model that uh, saved us about uh, 500,000 kWh per year so power usage effectiveness PUE um, most of you in the room probably have heard of this term, but uh, essentially it's the total facility power over the IT equipment power. Um, and that, that ratio, uh, the, the closer you can get it to one, the better. And, and uh, I don't think we're ever going to get to one, but, but, but the closer we can get to it, obviously, the better. Um, NAM, Newcomb, Anderson, McCormick um, did a, did a uh, audit of the UC-wide UC system uh, looking at um, energy usage, not only in data centers, but uh, but they did look at uh, all the campus data centers um, on various campuses. Um, and most of those central data centers had a PUE of 1.7 to 1.9, some higher. Um, 
they, we also we brought them in a, after that to do a, to, to do an audit at SDSC because they didn't do one in the initial report. Um, we had them look at SDSC as well as sort of the typical department server closet where they you know, brought in a an air conditioner unit or um, some cases actually they, uh, the the, wor the worst <laughs> the worst ones had uh, sort of. R2D2 cooler units that had the, you know, had the hose going out the window. The, the, those are lovely. Um, and I'm sure ECSE is the only one that has those, though. So, um, <laughs> anyway, so, so the, the, those ranged uh, between, you know, two to I think you said as high as 2.6 uh, PUE um, for some of those. Uh, SDSC's data center w was actually at uh, 1.35 to 1.42, uh, 1.35 for the, um, the for the east data center and 1.42 for the west. Um, so, you know, all that said, you know, relocating a system from a, an inefficient server room or, or server closet to SDSC would save 20, 28 to 65% on energy alone. Um, and, you know, the, when the highest cost is actually operating the machines um, for, for at, least, at least the HPC systems, um, that, that's a lot of money. Um, so, so transition here into sort of the, the WAN and LAN networking designs that we have for, uh, for SDSC and the Colo. Um, SDSC is, is a scenic hub for San Diego. Uh, we have um, you know, the pipes going out to San Diego State and, and other institutions coming through us. Uh, so we have a lot of bandwidth coming into, uh, in, into SDSC. Uh, we have two 10-gig uh, shared scenic connections to, L to LA uh, with a redundant 10-gig access to Riverside. Um, we can support additional dedicated uh, WAN as needed. So um, there's been questions of, well, my campus would want a dedicated 10 gig. We can certainly provide that. Scenic is willing to work with us on that. Um, as a standard, we're, we're just talking about layer three access, but um, Scenic's new service can, will allow layer two access if that's needed. So if you have a, a subnet that you have on your campus that um, you wanted to bring down at layer two, could do that. You could come back up to your campus before it gets routed out to the world. Um, there's also, uh, you know, uh, lots of other uh, external networks to um, Phoenix DC, ISP. Uh, we have multiple 10 gig links to TerraGrid, ESnet, and other research networks. Um, and in the San Diego network access point in our basement, um, where Scenic comes in, we have peering with multiple ISPs that are that are there, Cox and Time Warner and such. Um, I also talk a little bit to the diagram on the left here. Um, we, essentially, we have two, two, main, two main routers that, that go into Scenic. Um, in the SDNAP, we have um, switches that, that are attached to those uh, redundantly. Um, and then we have data center switches that, that uh, are, are in the two rooms that are redundantly connected uh, and can expand out. Uh, below that, we then have the racks that are connected. So um, the idea of rack top switches that, that would uh, um, you know, provide the connectivity to the servers. Uh, on the LAN side, um, this is, well, I guess I just going to talk about this, but <laughs> we have two Juniper MX 960s, um, l large chassis that, that right now have lots of open slots on them um, that are connected into the SDNAP. And below those, we are using um, Arista. Um, do I have the, yeah. So we use, I don't have the model, but uh, they're 48 port 10 gig switches that uh, we're actually not using a lot of the features on them, but, but we're using them for an aggregation switch at 10 gig. Uh, it's very cost effective to do so uh, on the order of like, 400 bucks a, a port um, to provide it, as opposed to big uh, to ports on the on the Junipers that uh, you, you pay a lot for. Uh, so we're just using them as sort of dumb 10 gig switches that provide the the intra uh, data center connectivity. 
Um, so, so we have two rack designs here. One, one is uh, connecting a, a 10 gig uplink from a server uh, back to a, a, an Arresta switch. Uh, this would just sort of be, uh, if you want to lease a 10 gig port um, and connect your server at that, at that speed, or, or if you had your own networking equipment you wanted to connect at that speed, um, that, that would probably be the option you'd take. Um, the, the other, uh, which we sort of see is more applicable to most general servers, uh, you might have uh, is the Juniper EX 4200s. Uh, we have uh, on, in each rack top uh, one of these at either a 24 or 48 port, one gig switch uh, that would then connect back into the fabric at 10 gig. With that, I guess I'll turn it over to, to Matt to talk about ONM. Now you can hear me. Okay, so Dallas has covered our facility and a lot of the uh, energy efficiencies we've been doing over the last few months. I'm going to cover more of the service model, how operations works, some of the things you would expect to see if you did indeed use the service. So we're going to cover a few categories in this. Security authorization, which is a big one for a lot of folks, especially when your equipment is not just down the street from you. Operations monitoring, um, notification outages, asset management, and the overall service model. So kind of base features of what you would get. So physical security, we do have a large security camera infrastructure uh, both inside the building, the host facility, and the data center itself. Uh, we're upwards around 70 to 80 cameras these days. Uh, it is a complete digital system. We keep all the footage for a minimum of 60 days based on storage in the NAS, et cetera. Um, we do run biometric access in our data center. Uh, in the previous talk, they were talking briefly afterwards during the question session about uh, vascular recognition, and that is the system we do uh, employ currently. So for anybody who was here, they got a little piece of that. Um, we use the IdentiScan system. It uses a unique pin per individual plus your vascular pattern of your hand, which it actually creates somewhat of a hash. It's not actually like a graphic image. Um, with that, it's a completely private net system, so it's off of our network, and we also take pictures at the same time for visual verification for contractors, authorized personnel, to really uh, run the gamut of access methods we'll need. We also have the flexibility for scheduling in the event that you would want, okay, my you know tech guys should only be there in this window of time, or you want to set up a, a one-time visit. Very doable in that as well. <clears throat> for non-biometric access, and really, that's targeted at contractors, not people you would see coming regularly to the facility, or you know, probably not your IT personnel. We do visual verification with our 24/7 uh, on-site operators, and then they are generally escorted by authorized SCSC staff to make sure that they don't go tinker with things they shouldn't be touching. So we really uh, worked on this service agreement model that would be entered with, uh, between SDSC and each campus. And in that, you would specify all of your points of contact, hopefully academic, business, technical. Um, that would define our, meaning SDSC's, uh, responsibility or remote hands access to your equipment. Um, again, biometric access is kind of standard once we get that all rolling. Um, and then it is, uh, we, we we're hoping that campus IT departments would keep us updated as, you know, personnel come and go, that we don't then have potential incidents to deal with down the road. 
So the remote hands access, we've you know been working on this service model for a few months now. Uh, a lot of it started back in November when there was uh, you know a UC wide representative meeting where we tried to hash out some of the the overall structures of it. And one one question was remote hands um, and how you would actually validate the the phone call or the requester that was coming to you. So in that service agreement, we we have a section for a passcode. Uh, really, it's up to the campus or department or customer to determine what they would want that to be. Whether it be a phrase, a string, you know, unique pin, some identifiable piece of information that then an operator could review against or you know validate against a list of approved contacts. Um, and then they would be allowed to go about their business and do their work. Uh, we are adding the step of logging. So you would basically have a change control history of all these things. So in the event anybody, you know, anybody needs to review it, we would be capable of doing so. We do have a 24-7, 365 human presence in our data center. Um, we've, we've been doing that pretty much since the beginning of uh, our creation in 1985. We do uh, every shift around the clock, multiple reviews of the facility for you know, building leaks, security incidents, you know, across the gamut, whole thing. Um, and that also gives us the flexibility to do incident response and really do quick triage, which, as we know, fire, data corruption, you know, intrusion, all those things is really critical to, to really deal with it as quickly as we can. Um, we do run some basic monitoring that probably most folks are uh, familiar with. So in our host facility and data center, you have your mechanical and electrical systems. So you monitor your chilled water pumps, your, you know, valves, your electrical systems at your transformers, you know, all pretty much commonplace that we're all familiar with. We are exploring um, environmental monitors as well to give us a much more granular and thermodynamic uh, picture of our data centers. We uh, have talked with Greg Bell at Berkeley about his SynapseSense that he is very fond of and familiar with. It. So we're, we're pursuing a very similar system to give us real-time uh, thermodynamics of the space so you can modify and know where your heat peaks are and possibly redistribute within the space to kind of equalize and, and keep everything running optimally. We also do have a number of in-house application monitors um, and software monitors that were written for some of our larger HPC systems in the work that they do. Uh, and we do provide uh, assistance with those services for folks uh, in the event that they would need them. And we are also uh, installing branch circuit monitoring. So at the per rack level, we will have the actual kilowatt hour usage, much like the meter on your house. So we can accumulate that data and then pass along utility cost, use it for metrics, et cetera. So a big thing, uh, of course, in that immediate event response and just overall operating procedure is customer communications. Um, generally, uh, our maintenance schedule is very, very low. We do uh, really attempt to do a minimum of a two-week notice for any outage that has, for a service that has a dependency. Um, of course, there are some unplanned ones, whether it be transformer maintenance, those sorts of things, things that just pop up and all catch us by surprise. Um, we use this mailing list as our primary means of communication for anybody with equipment in our data center. Um, you are subscribed to that uh, when you are added through the service agreement process. Um, with that, though, it's not only tied to that, you know, that service agreement. If, if an authorized person comes and says, well, I want Joe to be on this list as well, okay. Uh, subscriptions are welcome to that as long as it's useful. Um, inventory management. So as we branch out from dealing with not only UCSD and SKSD equipment, this to me, as the person 
responsible for the service and the operations of it is very important that we know what is where and the dependencies and the paths, physical and logical, et cetera. So as, as equipment comes in, it's fully labeled, um, we are exploring a lot of data center tools like RackWise and GDCM and Lite and, and a few others and uh, Vista, Aperture Vista, and trying to find the one that best fits our needs and are planning to implement that in the next probably six to nine months. That should give us that 2D topography, the top layer plus in-rack assets that, that is important because we may have equipment you know, from UCSD and say some other UC campus occupying the same physical rack and it would be important to be able to differentiate between the two. So that's, that's kind of the bare bones things, but again, we've been around for almost 25 years kind of as a standalone entity and so we have a ton of additional services that are available, you know, our expertise from the things we've learned over the years. Um, obviously, rack server level networking, which would be your network connectivity, your applications, your system security, patch management, you know, things we're familiar with. Um, cooling configurations, I mentioned a couple of our systems. Uh, we have an IBM Z frame that fully, uh, fully loaded can run quite hot, so it has a little bit of a different cooling strategy, and Flash Gordon is uh, a new system we're building, a new HPC system in the next 12 to 15 months or so that will probably be on the 40 to 45 kilowatt standard uh, load variety, so it, it takes a little bit more precise cooling. Precision cooling will definitely come into play for us, but we do have systems that support that now. Um, we do full systems administration, and last mile support now uh, if people want it, if they want to entrust us because we're familiar with scientific Linux or, you know, Red Hat or, you know, any of those things, we do that already. Uh, we also use Commvault as our main backup method into a large disk cache, which then goes into our uh, tape silos. So that as well, we have about 36 petabytes of overall tape storage. So we, we are a large data archive and a lot of people leverage that for DR and data archiving, et cetera. So I previously mentioned in November we had kind of this powwow. It was a full, full long day where we all got it all out on the table and wanted to discuss what the, the real core components were, what, how it would work and, and work well. So uh, the first idea was governance, you know, who kind of advises and does, deals with change control, things like that. So an advisory board of campus representatives to do a, a periodic review of all the systems that are in place. Um, was definitely something that we all felt was very important. It hasn't quite, you know, been set up yet, but is a critical component as we move forward. Um, the MOU would be, uh, originally this, this relationship was thought to be between a campus IT organization and SDSC, not necessarily the end users. So, you know, your department IT or a centralized campus IT would act with SDSC. So it was important to use an MOU to establish, you know, okay, well, my needs aren't going to be the same at UCLA as they would be as at Irvine. How do we make it very clear and precise? So there, there's no gray. As little gray as possible is very good for this. So the MOUs, uh, we have kind of a boilerplate, um, and I'll show you a URL, URL later that you can look at that has it there that is kind of a, a jumping point to, to be used to then modify to for each campus. And then technical standards is really... Um, a kind of an operations and maintenance manual where it talks about how we do things. It's, it's a reference guide for not only internally but for all of our customers and you know other campuses to see how we do things and to, to really establish the expectation. 
So um, the service agreement really, you know, okay, things are great. Let's shake hands. Let's all do it. Um, we, we start with the, or we then continue with the service agreement. Um, and that's really the, the additional services beyond basic, if there are any that are desired. Um, and it d defines contacts, equipment, physical locations, any recharge costs, which again would reference additional services, and uh, the base standard costs involved with hosting equipment, and then rules of responsibilities, which is the remote hands last mile. Yes, you're allowed to touch my equipment if you know my IT guy calls, other, or no, don't touch it. We just want a facility to run our gear. We'll handle it and fly down, drive down if we need to. So please visit this URL. It's pretty short and easy. It should be on your flyers as well. We have more up here if anybody came in late and didn't get any. This has all of the documents I've kind of briefly described and has some general information, plus is a good place with contact information to talk with me and other folks at SDSC about getting started. So I'll jump into this. Dallas was going to take it, but I'll go. Um, so OK, things sound good. Let's talk about what, what the, the rough estimates of cost are. Um, 6500 per rack per year. To, to keep things manageable, we're talking about full racks only. So if it makes sense at campuses to, if you don't have enough equipment to populate an entire rack, maybe buddying up with another department, somebody who has a similar need or desire to go that route. Um, so basically, it's power ping and cooling. Um, so it's really covering the facility and the 24-7 operations staff to, to provide some minimal hands-on, you know, remote hands access. And, and the overall administrative overhead to, to deal with the service and billing. So uh, earlier Dallas talked about a couple network designs, um, and these are roughly the costs associated with them. Um, the, the model currently has the campus or entity purchasing the equipment and then paying the annual maintenance on it. Um, and this also actually down below shows what our utility cost is. So overall, you basically have your, your operating expense for the rack, the networking costs that would be recurring, and then the actual utility consumption. So if your campus utility rate is higher than ours, it may be beneficial. I don't know how that all plays out. I'm not part of the financial model discussions, um, and I'm okay with that. So um, this, this is kind of just a, an idea of a five. The only reason you see any uh, reference to the kilowatt rating in these two models is really to give you an idea of what that utility scale increase is based on the density of your equipment. And then also the, the difference between a one gig uh, rack switch, and then a 10 gig uh, aggregation uplink. So for some people, it will make sense. For others, it may not. You know, it's really, it's meant to be a service that if you, if there's benefit in it for you, please contact us, and we'd be happy to work with you. So, okay. Right now, we're saying a 60-day pilot program. We really want to urge people and recommend people to try it. You know, we, we've had a couple of campus participate, and they uh, have issued statements saying nothing but good things about it. You know, of course, in any configuration, there's going to be some bumps, right? For In my experience so far, networking has been a big piece of it based on the, the requirements and needs of each campus. But those things can be ironed out. You know, it just takes people who want to achieve the goal to do it. So right now, 60 days, uh, we'll take up to a full rack free of charge operating expense. You can send the equipment to us. We'll be happy to install it. Or you can send some staff down to get familiar with our facility and the people who run the service. 
and do it that way. Um, two uh, IP DNS configurations, we're happy to host it in uh, some of our DNS space, but we've also had, in one of those previous circumstances, uh, they wanted reverse delegation, and we have no problem with that either. And uh, we're, doing, we're doing pretty well with it. Uh, I think the results have been good, and we just need to publicize the, those findings to help kind of get everybody to, to, to give it a try, because really that's what's important. You're not going to know until you try it. And that... Um, uh, Santa Cruz was the first, and actually we have a, a lot of uh, UCSD departments, and um, San Francisco and Irvine have made multiple visits to us, and are in the process of kind of coordinating equipment to bring it down to us for the for the second run. So Santa Cruz, uh, you know, was a was a good learning experience for all of us to kind of know some of the pitfalls that we we may encounter, and that's the wrap up. Happy to take any questions. Yes? I'm just wondering, can you speak a little to the, uh, the option of backup services? I think you guys offer sort of backup services. Yeah, so, so the question is, uh, what kind of backup services do we have? Um, it Honestly, we kind of tailor it to what the, the needs are. Um, we have... Uh, some large sand storage arrays. Uh, so it really depends on, the, from my opinion, the, the longevity that you're looking for. If you're looking for archive or, you know, kind of DR backups, that kind of thing. And so we, we have a few solutions that we can leverage. If you're talking eight terabytes of data, maybe the sand is the right way to go, or a NAS solution. If you're talking, you know, a thousand terabytes, you know, or 500 terabytes, maybe a, a larger archival storage method. Um, a lot of...
Well, thank you. Thank you for coming.